Uh, we're going to finish up a sermon series entitled Back on Track. And so we started uh, early January and we've been covering really uh, four areas of our lives that we want to get back on track in. Uh, and it really comes from something that Luke, the writer of the fourth, uh, third gospel, said about Jesus as Jesus was growing up. He summarized that season of Jesus's life, which we really don't know much about when Jesus was a teenager and those types of uh, experiences. And, and Luke summarizes Jesus's life in that t- period of time and says that he increased or he grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and favor with men. This is Luke 2, verse 52. So we've kind of looked at those four areas. Uh, we kicked it off the first week of January with Fran talking about wisdom, making the right choice. And we went through a, a passage from the book of Proverbs, a wonderful book that you can read. There's 31 chapters. You can choose to read a chapter a day uh, for the, the, the day of that month. Usually there's 30, 28, 29, 30, 31 days in a month. You can read the chapter corresponding with the day of the, the month. If you want to do that, really let that book soak in. But making the wise choice. Uh, the second week, I was here with you, and uh, we talked about growing physically. How do, how do we strengthen our bodies? We talked about the amazing gift that the body is, the senses that we have, but we don't want to let our senses rule us, our flesh be the dominant voice that tells us what we do and how we do it. Because if we do that, then we'll be living according to the flesh, and the New Testament talks about how that is a dangerous path, and it takes us into greed and lust and all kinds of things, that uh, choices that aren't wise. So we buffet our body and we make it our slave, as Paul talks about, and we let the Spirit of God and God's Word dictate to us how we are to live. And this wonderful body that we have that's a temporary dwelling for our spirit and our soul is uh, in check. And those cravings don't dictate to us. Last week, Liz was with you, and she talked about growing in favor with one another, basically relationships. And she talked about some relationships that we all want to have in our life. Uh, One was the idea of Moses holding his hands up, and we need those who help us hold our hands up. And remember the story she talked about when they were at war, and as long as Moses had his hands up, and Aaron and her came alongside to help lift his hands, the Israelites prevailed in that battle. And if his hands dropped, then the Israelites would lose. And so we need people to encourage us. We need people to come alongside of us and hold us up and, and uh, help us walk with the Lord in, in a dense of encouragement. Uh, she talked about another relationship that's very important. Nathan from the Old Testament during the time of David, uh, he was a prophet. And David had made some bad decisions. And God called Nathan to go talk to him and confront him in love about something that he had been doing that was breaking God's law. Uh, and Nathan did that. We need people in our lives that speak the truth in love, hold us accountable, uh, but, but are so committed to us. They don't do it to hurt us. They don't do it to, to go, nah, 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 but they do it to help us grow. And, but we need people to speak that truth. And then finally, we need people that will celebrate partiers. Remember, she talked about that. And, and so we want folks that celebrate the good things in our life. And we are a body that celebrates so many things together. So we need these relationships. And there's some other things she encouraged in as well. Uh, but this morning, we're going to talk about growing in our relationship with God. Uh, and, and that, to me, is the most important relationship of every relationship that we have. Our relationship with God is really the most important. And many times, it's the one that we neglect the most. But you're here this morning, which speaks to your desire to grow in your knowledge of God, your love for God, your relationship with Him. And so thank you for being here. I want to ask you a question 
And if you feel bold enough to respond, I'm going to call on you and let you tell me what you, what you thought about this question. So just be prepared to answer if you'd like. I want you to think about, this is relationships, think about your favorite person in the world or your best friend or that person you feel the closest to, all right? So this could be your best friend. This could be the, you know, your favorite person. Uh, it could be um, someone you feel the closest to. Think about that person, and then I'm going to ask you a couple of questions if you're willing to answer. All right, have y'all got that person in your mind? All right, tell me how y'all met. Tell me how, you don't have to tell me who that person is, but just tell me how you met this person, Victoria. Are you be- so how'd you meet your best friend? All right, so you, you met them in your living experience. All right. What, what, how'd you meet this person you're talking about? Yeah. In the hospital. Oh, okay. Oh, so they, all right. Very good. A mother birthed you, and so that's how you, I love it. I love it. What are some other ways that you met these folks that you're thinking about? What are some ways you met? Yes, sir. All right, so Griff met this person in the college classroom. All right, who else? Yes. David, you met this person at summer camp, all right? Who else has a, yes? At work, there we go. Somebody back here, yes? A blind date. A blind date, oh, right. and you might be married to this person maybe? Okay, all right, I like that, I like, <laughs> you know, hopefully you're not, yeah, we won't go there. All right, so, uh, so we meet these people in lots of different ways and we lots of different experiences. And so now the second question I want to ask you, think about this person what are some characteristics of that relationship that you have? You know, is it time spent? Uh, what, what are some characteristics? What, what would characterize this type of relationship that you're thinking about, this person you, that you've got in your mind? Who's got some characteristics or things that would, would, would ca- kind of help describe this relationship? You have similar interests. Yes. This is a harder question. Yes. This person's unpredictable or the relationship's unpredictable? The relationship, so, and you like that, you know, is that right? Okay, yeah, a little, yeah, okay, a little variety, a little intrigue, that's good. All right, what else? Yes, Griff. All right, so this person has your best interest in mind, so they're not selfishly wanting from this relationship what they get out of it. They think about, care about the other person in your situation, they care about you and your best, I love that. Yes. You share life. So this person, you spend time together, right? You share life experiences. Very good. Two more. Two more real quick. For you? Are we talking about Sonny? Okay. <laughs> well, that was another one. I better be careful. So Yeah, so, so this person that you're thinking about, this person you met, especially in Lydia's case, God had a big part in them being so compatible and have such a wonderful relationship together. I love that. One more. Who's got something just dying to say? Yes. Trust. I love it. I love it. Exactly. So there's other characteristics and things like that. So when I think about my relationship with someone who's my best friend or maybe my spouse or, or maybe somebody that, that I do a lot with, these are some characteristics that describe that relationship. And when I think about the most important relationship of all the relationships, that being our relationship with God... These are some of the things. Now, how do we meet God? Now, you might have a story that's different from my story. You might have a testimony of how you came to faith that's totally different, or they might be very similar. But here's the thing. There's a lot of similarities between our relationship with God and your relationship with the person you just described. 
But then because Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit are so much different than his creation, there's some differences to the relationship that are unique only to this relationship. So first thing I think of is different is that, that God is spirit. And there was a season when God became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus. So during those 33 years of his earthly ministry, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus was, was flesh and blood. But now he's in his glorified body. He is, is now God in every place and all that. So we don't have flesh and blood Jesus. He said, it's better that I go to be with the Father than to hang out with you guys on earth. Now, his disciples might say, no, Jesus, it's a whole lot better if you stay here with us because we love hanging out with you. We like talking to you. We like looking you in the eye. We like watching how you interact with people. No, we think the best thing that could be would be if you stay with us. And Jesus said, no. The best thing for all of humanity is if I go back to heaven because the Holy Spirit, God's gift to humankind, will come and fill you and you will have a relationship with me through the Spirit that God gives us that is better than me being flesh and blood with you right now. Woo! That freaks me out. I mean, it's just crazy. But yeah, that's the truth. So God is Spirit and you and I don't see him with our physical eyes. Now the promise that God made to us is that he's present here right now because two or more have gathered in his name and when two or more gather in his name which we've done his presence is here but do you physically see the God of creation no we don't so that's a unique difference so when I think about the person if I'm thinking about Fran or thinking about one of my best friends that, that are guys you know I physically get to see them. I get to give them a high five. If it's Fran, I get to kiss her on the lips. All those, I don't kiss my best friend, guys, and all this. But, but, uh, but anyway, it's just like, you know, we, we have a physical opportunity to interact. But because God is different, he is spirit, we don't physically see him. So how do we access this relationship with God? We access this through faith, through faith. Now, here's the beautiful thing about this relationship that God, that we have with God. Because we don't see him, how do we know that we're having a relationship with God? And, and the good thing is that he makes the first step toward this relationship. He initiates this relationship with all of us. And we know that, and, and the scripture that's in your uh, order of service is Jeremiah 31, 3. And he's talking to the, the people of Israel. They, they've been in captivity. Uh, it's difficult for them. And he reminds them, I have loved you. With an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. God makes the first move toward us. Think about John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes faith in him will have everlasting life, will be forgiven of our sins, will have a relationship with him. God initiates this. God starts this relationship. God created you and me for a reason, for a purpose, and put us here in this period of time and says, I want you to know me personally. So God is the one who takes the first step toward you. God doesn't create you and go, you know what? I don't like what I created. I don't want to have a relationship with them. I'm just not even going to acknowledge that they're on this planet. There's nobody in the entire world, in the entire history of God's creating anybody that he's had that opinion about. 
Now, there's lots of people who don't want to have anything to do with God and don't even think about God, have turned their back on God, don't want to have anything to do with God. And that's reality. But here's God's position toward them. I love you. I've created you. I'm going to do all that I can to extend grace to you and mercy to you, bring people in your life to hopefully get you to think about me, and then maybe one day you'll respond to my grace and my mercy and my compassion on you to not zap you just in, in, for the one sin that you might commit. You know, it boggles my mind. I'm going to go on a, a rabbit trail real quick. God in his mercy reaching out to those of us who didn't know him or those of us before we got saved or those thousands and millions of people on the planet that have never even thought about him. He, and Peter talks about this in one of his letters. He says, God is not slow about his promises as some people count slowness. In other words, he's going to do what he says he's going to do. But he's patient toward us, desiring that none would perish, but all would come to repentance So God's heart for all of humankind is, I don't want you to perish and spend eternity apart from me. But because of your sin and your rebellion, you're going to do that. But until you die and breathe your last, I'm going to do all that I can, giving you free will to respond to my grace. And I'm patient, God says, with humankind. So one day they will respond. So let me give you an example. In the book of Acts, there's one situation where God judged sin, just like that. Once they sinned, boom, it was judged. And that's a couple who decided, decided, very wonderful thing to do, to sell some property. And they were going to bring the proceeds of that sale to the apostles, put it before Peter, say, help the needy in our community with this money. A lot of people were doing that. Barnabas was one of them doing it. So this couple decides to do that, which is great. God didn't tell them they had to do it. They just did it out of the generosity of their heart. So they decided, let's say they sold it for $1,000, which it could have been, who knows what it doesn't say in the scripture. What else, but they kept some of that money for themselves, which was their choice. And they brought a portion of that to the temple and, and, and put it before Peter. And basically the husband comes in first and says, hey, This is everything that we sold. He lied. He lied. Now, he could have said, hey, we got $1,000 for this. We're going to get $500. Peter would have said, man, thank you for your generosity. We're going to take that and use that to bless other people. But he comes in and says, this is what we got for selling our land. Because he lied, guess what God chose to do? Judge that sin right then. And that guy drops dead right at Peter's feet. And everybody's freaking out. Oh, my gosh. Later on, his wife comes in. She doesn't know her husband's dead. Peter says, hey, is this what you got for the selling of the land? Mark McGonigal translated, you get $500 for selling that property? She could have said, no, we really got 1000 but we decided to keep 500 Peter said, fine, that is awesome. Thank you for your generosity. She said, yeah, that's what we got. He said, the same men who took your husband out are going to take you out. And God judged her sin. One sin, one lie. Bam. And all the good things she did, selling the property, being generous to give it to the poor. Did that matter? No, she sinned against God, broke his law, and God did not have patience with them. He set an example, and he judged that sin right then. One sin sends me to hell. And that's why, because Jesus died on the cross for me and for you, we can be forgiven. And God's not slow about his promises. He's going to judge sin. But he's patient toward us and he's kind toward us and he's merciful toward us. And his desire is that we would come and have a relationship with him and love him and enjoy his blessing. 
So that boggles my mind. God, why are you so patient with so many people when you are absolutely holy and you hate sin because it destroys your people? But he loves us. He loves us. So we don't see God, and we know he's patient toward us, and he's made the first step. And you might say, Mark, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it either. I don't deserve his mercy. I don't deserve his grace. I don't deserve it. But because he loves us, because he loves you, created you, he's patient with you and says, please come, enjoy this relationship that I've initiated that I want you to experience. And all of us have that opportunity. So he says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And you and I don't have to do anything to earn that love, which is amazing. Now, here's another thing. Once you get into a relationship with God and you start realizing this is how he wants me to live, we'll talk about that when we talk about John the disciple, to to, to do these things that God wants you to do, live in obedience, we do that not to earn his love, not to earn his favor, not to to get him to like us more. You know, if I do this for God, I think he'll like me more because I'm doing more than what she's doing. I'm doing more than what he's doing. No, uh -uh, that, that, that doesn't manipulate God. This boggles my mind too. He loves you now as much as he'll ever love you. We haven't earned his love. We can't increase his love for us. It's as full as it can be. And he cares about everything we do. He cares about us. And so as as he made that first move... The way we access this relationship with God is through faith. We believe, we trust, we we acknowledge, and we accept it. You might say, Mark, God doesn't need to love me because I've been so bad. By faith, we need to say, you know what? He loves me. He cares about me. And when I do bad, he's willing to forgive me. And he's willing to restore that relationship. You might not feel like he, he should do that, but that's what he says he does. And so... We know that by faith. Romans 12, the second part of verse 3. Let me read this to you. It says, God has allotted or God has given to each, to each of us a measure of faith. So first of all, God's given you an ability to have trust in him. He's given you faith. When each one of you guys sat down on that chair, you exercised faith. You might say, well, how in the world did I do that? You believed in your subconscious mind that that chair would support your weight. So you sat down. When Matt said, okay, let's sit down, you sat down. You didn't go, I don't know if this thing's going to support my weight. Let's, you know, why don't you come check it out first and then if it fits you. No, you had faith. You had trust. Now, it could have been because you sat in that chair for the last several Sundays and you knew. And so it's an educated belief. It's a confidence. And so our faith has been given to us. We exercise faith all the time. And here's another thing about faith In Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he, the person who comes to God, must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So if God said, without faith, you can't please me, and he doesn't give us faith to begin with, we're in a tough position, aren't we? It's like, well, how can I please God if I don't even have faith? And God said, I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to take care of that for you. I'm going to give each one of you a measure, a portion, the ability to believe, the ability to trust, the ability to to yield to me. I'm going to give that to you. You have it. You got it. 
You got it. Turn to your neighbor and say, I got faith. Turn to the person on the other side and say, you got faith. Now, some people hate it when preachers do that. And I, you know, I just, some, oh, I don't want to do something you hate me to do. But you got faith. You do. Now, here's the thing about faith. The Bible talks about faith being given and the Bible talks about faith being developed. How do we strengthen our faith? How do we grow in our faith? How do we develop the faith that God's given us? And it's kind of like we talked about our bodies a couple of weeks ago, our muscles. It's like each one of us have muscles. That's why we can stand. That's why we can yawn. That's why we breathe. That's why we can jump. That's why we can run. And, and the more we develop and strengthen and work those muscles, the stronger and more endurance the muscles have. So if you lift weights or do weight resistance, you strengthen your muscle. If you're eating good and eating with protein and things like that, you're building those muscles from, from the cellular level. And so there's this idea of we all have muscles. Now, some people, you look at them and go, their physique is really muscular. Not me anymore, but, but it's like, you know, they, they, you can see their muscles, but everybody's got them. We just do, or we couldn't do this, or we couldn't do this. I mean, you just, you, everybody's got muscles. But if you want to strengthen your muscles, if you want to develop your muscles, if you want to make those muscles stronger, you have to do something with your muscles. When I ruptured my Achilles a couple of years ago, playing basketball, uh, I had to have surgery to repair it, and I was in a, in a cast for a month, and then a walking boot for two months, and then I had to do... So, and in that short amount of time, my skinny little calf, which was skinny anyway, atrophied. And it was just like, and now it's still small. And I don't want to get self-conscious. Everybody look at my legs when I wear shorts one day. But my left calf is still smaller than my right calf. It just is. And I, because I haven't developed, I haven't done any, hadn't done any of these. I, I just, I've been lazy and hadn't exercised very much. But the bottom line is, if I work that muscle, if I work, because the doctor said, Terry, he told me, that muscle will be the same size as your other one. You just got to work it out. Have I done it? No, shame on me. I got to get back on track. But the bottom line is our muscles respond. It's an amazing thing. And so faith is the same way. So if you trust God and believe God in the little things, and he said, those are so important, then you have confidence. And you're like, whoa, God came through in this situation. So your faith is a little stronger. So when you get in another situation, you might say, Wow, God came through these times. I sat in this chair five times. I'm going to sit in it six times. It's not going to break. That same idea. Your faith gets stronger. And I, here's an example. I might preach this a million times before, before God moves me to another place, which is going to be hopefully a long time away. But the bottom line is, David is a perfect example. When David talks to Saul, and we'll talk about David in a minute too. When David talks to Saul, after hearing Goliath taunting the armies of God, and David said, we got to do something about this dude. Mark McGonagall translation. You know, I don't like what he says about God. I don't like what he says about God's people. Why didn't anybody go fight him? And Saul's like, he's the biggest man I've ever seen. And Saul was head and shoulders above every guy in Israel. And, and David said, listen, I'll go fight him. I'll fight him. And he says, you're just a youth. He's been a warrior since his youth. And David said, listen, when I was out shepherding the sheep, my daddy's sheep, a bear came to kill the sheep. And God gave me the strength to kill the bear, to protect the sheep. Another time, a lion. Now, this isn't a koala bear, you know, some sweet little koala bear from... No, this is a, a bear that wants to eat sheep. And, I mean, a bear! Not a grizzly bear necessarily, but a bear that would just swipe David and kill him easily. And then David said, another time, a lion came to kill the sheep. And God gave me the strength to kill the lion. And this uncircumcised Philistine is going to be the same as the lion and the bear. God's going to give me what I need 
to defeat the enemy of God and honor him. David's faith was strengthened. Here's this little shepherd boy out watching his daddy's sheep, and a lion comes, and a bear comes. And I'm not talking about Simba. I'm not talking about this little bitty cub. This is a lion that could kill David easily. And God just came up inside of David, and David killed that lion. David killed that bear. And David knew, I'm not going to fight this Philistine on my own strength. Guess what? God is going to give me the power and the strength, and he's going to be just like the lion and the bear. No problem, no issue. God's going to do it. David's faith was strong. Why? Because he'd walked through things with God. He had faith, a measure of faith. And then God strengthened it as David walked with him. Your faith and my faith the same way. God wants to strengthen our faith. So let's look at a couple of folks uh, that, that hopefully, as I think about my relationship with God, it's the most important relationship I have. I want it to grow. I want to get back on track with that. I want it to be uh, just, just vibrant and alive. There's four guys in Scripture I want us to look at, and then there's thousands of examples from, from the Bible times on of men and women who've walked with God so intimately, so closely. There's Christian bio, biographies and all kinds of places for us to learn about these. I want to look at these guys in Scripture, uh, and, and, and just, just so powerful. First guy is Moses. Now, if you're reading through the Bible with us, You've been reading about this guy, okay? And, uh, and if, you, if you decide, you know, gosh, I didn't hear about reading through the Bible with you guys. There's a Bible guy. There's an app on your phone. You can do that. Uh, gosh, we're, we're just finishing Exodus, so you're not too far behind if you want to pick that up. So Moses in Exodus 33. Now, you know, God's appeared to Moses in a burning bush. He's been shepherding the flock of, of his father-in-law, another shepherd. Um, you know, he, he grew up in, in Pharaoh's household, and the situation happened. Now he, he ran from Pharaoh. He's, he's been shepherding on the backside of the desert. And God appears to him and said, I want you to go back to Egypt. My people have been crying out to me for some relief, and you're going to lead them out of slavery into the promised land that I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Long story, but Moses does that. All the plagues of Egypt, Pharaoh lets them go. They go through the Red Sea. Powerful deliverance. Pharaoh's army's coming. He, he, he closes the sea back on them, cuts off that, which is drawing them back into slavery. Powerful deliverance. Now they're in, wandering in the wilderness, and uh, they grumble, complain. All these things different happen. Um, remember the war that Liz talked about with, with Moses? That had happened. Now Moses has been on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Didn't eat anything didn't drink anything. He was in God's presence. God was giving him the law. The two tablets on stone, powerful situation. So now, now they, they understand how to build the tabernacle, how to do all that kind of, how to worship him, all the priests, all the Levites, all of that, all that powerful stuff. So now they're living in the desert, getting on, on the way to the promised land. And what it talks about in this chapter, chapter 33, verse 7, when they would come to a place to camp, Moses would set a tent up outside of the camp called the Tent of Meeting. Now, Moses has been on the mountain. He's experienced God for 40 days, 40 nights, twice. And, and now, every day, Moses goes to a place, a tent, and he meets with God. And the Bible says that a cloud would cover the front of that tent, and everybody would go out of their tent and look at the Tent of Meeting and say, God is meeting with Moses. Every day, Moses would meet with God. And here's the powerful thing. Verse 11 of chapter 33 of Exodus. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. That 
when I first read that years ago, it blew my mind. Here's Moses. Man, he's getting to hang out with God. He's been on Mount Sinai. God spoke to him. He would come down. His face was glowing because he'd been in the presence of the Lord. People said, man, we can't look at you, Moses. He had to put a veil over his face. I mean, just he'd been in God's presence. And then every day he gets to go to this place and he hangs out in the tent and he's saying, oh, God, hey. And God would show up just like in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And God would speak to Moses. Now, here's the bottom line. God wants to speak to you. Yes, God wants to speak to you. He wants to, it's a relationship. Don't say, well, that's kind of weird. God said to this. No, don't, don't go there. That's what the world says. God's people, uh, Heavenly Father says, I want you to know me. And he met with Moses face to face. And so Moses got a taste of God. And he says, I want more. And I want more. Verse 13, he says, let me know your ways. This is a yearning. This is a craving. This is Moses. Let me know your ways that I may know you. And then 18 through 23 of that same, God, he says, I want to see your glory. God, you show me a little bit of who you are. And I get to hang out with you every day. I want more of you. Oh, I crave, I desire, I long, I want you, God. Show me your glory. And God basically said, you can't handle it. If I showed you my glory, you, you, you just, you, mortals, you just can't handle it. Now, when you breathe your last, you come to heaven, get a glorified body, and I change a little bit, you go, you're going to get to hang out with me in eternity. So he puts him in a cleft of a rock, and God passes by, and he says, I'm going to let you see my backside. So God said, yes, I'm going to show you what you can handle of who I am, almighty God. Why? Why did God do that? Because he had a relationship with Moses. And Moses wanted more. And he wanted more. I want you, God. I want to know you, God. He spent time with God every day. And he yearned more. He wanted more. And God said, boy, you're gullible. No, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. You. No. He didn't respond that way. He said, all right. Here's a guy who wants to know me. I'm going to reveal more and more of myself to him. Let's look at David, another guy. And we've already talked about David real quickly. Uh, his faith had grown. But in, in Psalm 27, verse 4, David says this. One thing. Everybody say one thing. One say it real loud. One thing. Oh, I love it. Now I got you interacting again. Hopefully you don't get mad. He says, one thing I've asked from the Lord, and that shall I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and behold the beauty of the Lord, and to meditate in his temple. Here's David. He is the king. He's won battles. He's famous. And he says, the one thing I want out of everything in this world, the one thing that I desire is to spend time with God. Hang out with the God who created me. I want to hang out in his house. I want to meditate. I want to think about him every day. I want to look at him because he's so awesome and so beautiful. Even though we only see a portion of who God is, David says, man, ooh, what I've tasted of God, it's so good. I want more, and I want more, and I want more, and God, I want more. And I'm hoping that in Mark Magoni's life, this kind of passion, this kind of desire, this kind of drive to have this relationship more vibrant and more alive is characteristic of who I am. Psalm 27, verse 8 said, when you, God, when you say to my heart, seek my face, my heart says to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. 
There's times when God may whisper, Hey, Griff, spend some time with me. Did y'all hear that? Griff, did you hear that? I'm picking on Griff because he's almost there. So there's times when God's going to say, Hey, I, pull away and spend some time with me. And David said, my response in those times when God takes that next step toward me, and he's already done that, is going to be, oh, yeah. Yes, God. Not, God, I'm too tired. Or, God, I've had a busy day. Or, God, why didn't you ask me this at the beginning of the day? I've been a whole lot fresher. God might, he might pull your heart at the beginning of the day. Now, listen, if you're a student, go say, Mark, God spoke to me, and I skipped classes all day today to, 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 to be with God. No, God's not going to do that. Why? Because he wants you to be a good student. Amen? Amen? So you might say, Mark, God said, you know, he said, don't go into work today because I, I, want, I want you to spend time with me. Don't do that. God's not, God's not going to mess up your life in the sense of your obligations, your responsibilities. He won't do that. And if he does, it's very rare, and it's not something like... It, it, so I'm not saying God can't do certain things. He doesn't sin. But, but there's, so don't, don't say, well, yeah, I've skipped work three days now because I've, I've been, you know what I'm saying? There's a balance here. But God's going to be, he's going to be drawing you. And it might be, you know, early in the morning. He might wake you up at five in the morning when you normally get up at 530. He might wake you up at four in the morning when you normally get up. And he might say, hey, spend some time with me now. Now, you can spend time. I can spend time with God all day long, which is so cool. Paul says pray without ceasing. That means all day long. You can talk to the Lord. You can think about God. You can meditate on him, ponder, and, and speak to him all the time. And that's wonderful. But then there's times when God is saying, oh, come away with me. And when you feel that, oh, that's going to be a sweet time. We don't want to miss it. Amen. David is being spoken of in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. And it says that God said of David, he's a man after my own heart because he does my will. When the first king Saul, remember we referenced him when, when David was talking to him about Goliath. God handpicked Saul to be the very first king of Israel. He didn't want them to have a king. They wanted a king. God said, I'll give you a king. He picked Saul. Saul had great qualities. Like I said, he's head and shoulders taller than any other man. He's handsome. He's stately. All these kind of things. There's other things in his life that weren't great. He was insecure in some ways. But the bottom line is, God set him up to rule and be the first king. And because of some bad choices and some things in Saul's life, God said, I'm going to take his kingdom from him and give it to someone who's better Speaking of David, he'll do what I want him to do. Not to, because he's manipulated, but because his heart, his heart belongs to me. And, and you see that in David. And so for you and I to have a relationship with God, our heart. Remember we talked about during the Christmas Eve, if you were here Christmas Eve, what, is, what gift can we give God? What gift can we give Jesus? Our heart. He wants our heart in worship. He wants our heart in service. He wants our heart. All of the... He, and David's heart was completely God's. Two more. Let's look at Jesus real quick. It's hard to even say that because we could spend years and years and years. But when you look at the life of Jesus written in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those aren't biographies that tell us everything about Jesus, but they tell us enough. And what we know about the characteristic of Jesus is that not only is he God in the flesh, but he spent time in prayer 
with the Father. And Jesus said this in John's gospel. He said, I never even say anything unless the Father wants me to say it. He's so in tune with the Father that every word that Jesus spoke, he knew that was what God the Father wanted him to say. That makes sense? That's powerful. And he told his disciples, the things that I do, I do because the Father wants me to do. So everything he did during his earthly ministry, Jesus did in obedience to God the Father because there was such a relationship with him. And he had to function as you and I in flesh and blood. He was limited. He wasn't like he was before he became a human in all places at all times. He had limited himself, and, and it's hard to even comprehend the incarnation of, of God. And, and, but he, he didn't have much of a leg up on, on you and me. You and I have that same ability. We've been given a measure of faith, and we've got the Holy Spirit. So you and I can have this same intimate, close relationship with the Father. It's, it's amazing. Oh, we can talk about Jesus for years and years. But he modeled spending time with the Father. And then the last person is, is I want to reference, and we could, there's so many we could, but John, the beloved disciple. So out of the 12 men that he handpicked, he had lots of other followers. On the day of Pentecost, there were 120 people in the upper room. They got filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. So we, we know that there was at least 120 people hanging out with Jesus all the time. Or in multi, so, but, but out of those 12, there were three. And who were those three? John, Peter, and who? James, yeah. So James and John were brothers, and then Peter. And so John got to hang out with Jesus in some situations that the other you know, guys didn't. So it's very, and so John had this wonderful relationship with Jesus, very tight, very close. And, and his gospel account, and then the three letters, first, second, third John we have in, in the New Testament, are very powerful. And, and John emphasizes, he talks about how much they have fellowship with the Father through Jesus, that this relationship, this commitment was so strong, so powerful, and his hope for you and for me is that you and I would in, enter into that same relationship. So as you read John and 1 John, 1 John 1, 3 talks about this fellowship, walking in the light as Jesus is in the light, this idea of walking with him, it's a journey, it's a relationship. So let me close by encouraging you, oh, let this relationship with God the Father, the most important relationship of every relationship, be the thing that we pursue more intensely than anything else this year and then for the rest of our life. It's a journey. If you get off track, God is patient with you. He's not going to judge your sin. He judges that sin in Jesus. But man, let's, let's, let's focus on that. Let's yearn for that. Let's have the same heart that Moses had, the same heart that David had, the same life that Jesus had, and then the same exhortation that John the disciple, as he, he writes to all of humankind, and says, I want you to know him. Amen? Amen.